Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 26th. Not going to lie to you, listeners, it was my ideal championship Sunday. Let's start at the top. Alex Zverev, a comprehensively dominant performance to win his second straight title in Cologne. Of course, a player I have talked about quite a bit over these past two months. Arena Sabalenka wins a title in Ostrava over Victoria Azarenka. Then you had young Ugo Umber knocking off Alex Dimenauer, a CC Bellis title. Doesn't get much better than Sunday, folks. And of course, joining me today to break down all of the action, keep my ego in check. You, of course, know him as our Cracked Rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history. And I'm going to throw this in here today as well. I'm in that good of a mood. The forefather of the forehand slice, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? Doing well. A little chilly. Got some snowfall here in Kansas City. So, you know, winter is upon us, even though it uh, doesn't seem like it should be. It is hard indoor hardcourt season on the tours, you know, for us personally, if you're playing recreational tennis in any part above, you know, uh, I suppose Missouri or even in Missouri, you're playing indoor tennis now. We're all making that transition. And, you know, I think it helps when you get to see some really exciting late October tennis, the level of play, Jamie. I mean, obviously, it's a different season, right? There were five and a half months off where these players weren't playing, but I thought the tennis this weekend was phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's been really similar. You know, we talked about how pleasantly surprised we were with how well um, the players played coming back on tour, and that momentum has carried through, right? I was really happy with the level of play with some particular stars, um, you know, specifically that we'll get into. But yeah, you take an Alex Zverev, and, and how can you not be impressed with the level you saw from him this weekend? Yeah, it was really, really fun, and of course, we are going to talk about all of these Sunday championship matches. We will preview the week ahead for all of us, a couple of fun ATP matches, some challenger-level action, some ITFs to discuss, Uh, but of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, you guys know the deal. We have one motto here at Crack Rackets. If you look good and you feel good, you're going to go out on the tennis court and play good. I know Jamie McDonald was looking good. He was feeling good. He played some good tennis this weekend. He trusts his interests to Midwest Sports and Aerobar. You should as well. Go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to find anything you need from a tennis equipment standpoint. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You go to Aerobar.com. You'll find yourself the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious 
delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And, of course, by supporting them, uh, you support the podcast as well, our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Go to aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order. And remember, look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right. With that in mind, Jamie, let's talk about these championship matches. And I'm going to switch up the order. And it's a little bit selfish, but I've been watching a lot of Shits Creek recently. And I know they have a system. They take selfishes. I'm going to take a selfish on this podcast, Jamie. And we're going to start with the action in Cologne because it was my ace of the day. I said more confidently than anything else, I thought Alex Virev was just going to beat Diego Schwartzman yesterday. I thought if you had watched Schwartzman play his quarterfinal and semifinal matches, you know, those were both matches. He really could have lost. I mean, he was down 6-2-5-2 to Davidovich Fokina. He, you know, was up on FAA, but FAA ended up coming back in this in that match. And if you watched it, it was clear FAA had the firepower advantage. There were a lot of points that were on his racket that he just wasn't able to finish. And then comes the third part of my answer heading into the final. The spiciest take I might have for you, Jamie. I think outside of Novak Djokovic, who just lives in another stratosphere, but honestly, I think Alex Virov's getting closer to that. I think on an indoor hard court right now, Alex Virov's the best men's tennis player in the game. I mean, six foot six, the control he has physically, of course, the dominance he is able to show when he is serving well. You forget that this guy is six foot six, and then he runs off these two weeks in Cologne. And I know they were both 250 events, but how can you be anything but impressed with the way he is? played yeah he's looked phenomenal and throughout his you know still young career we've seen this on the indoor hard right i mean looking at his tour finals victory obviously this guy knows how to play on an indoor hard court and this final you know no different right you mentioned schwartzman did a great job of battling through this draw and you know that's what we love about diego schwartzman when he gets in a match that's a total grind you know you you, you have the confidence that he's going to have the grit um to be able to get through that but zverev did a great job of not even allowing this match to become a battle and really didn't give schwartzman anything to work with the whole time no, I mean, he was just dominant on serve, and I mean, that's where it started. He made 64% of the first serves, 24 of 29 on those points, and we, we talked about this a lot during the U.S. Open. We've talked about Alex Vera far too often on this podcast, I'm sure, but it just, his serve, if it ever gets right, it has a chance to be arguably the most dominant serve on tour, and I don't say that lightly in a game that features an Opelka and Isner, all of these different guys. At six foot six, he can just, he can hit corners at 130. Doesn't matter if it's deuce out wide, doesn't matter if it's flat add out wide, down the tee, and you know, when he can play controlling tennis, it allows him to set up everything else he wants to do, be aggressive from the baseline. I think, you know, I can only pray Taylor Fritz develops as a volleyer the way Alex Virov has slowly developed as a volleyer and there are still times he comes up to the net and he's a little bit aimless but the way he's able to read his opponent where they're going to go with a passing shot I think he's gotten so much better at his first volley and you know of course he still gets passive but I say it all the time there's going to be 10 minutes in every match where you watch Alex Virov and you say oh my god this guy could be the best player in men's tennis today he looked like the best player in men's tennis not just for 10 minutes but for the entire hour 10 minutes of this match he was playing aggressively he was able to use his speed to his movement to turn defense into offense and then I don't know if you watched that 5-1 game Jamie but he ripped a couple of forehand down the lines that were just they were just jokes you're just like oh my god I he has this gear too 
too. And I, I, I'm trying not to overreact because it's two, again, two 250 tournaments on home soil indoors. But I think as we approach the year-end finals, I may be picking Alex Zverev to win another year-end championship because indoor hardcourt, he's just got the traits to be dominant. Yeah, and look, he's going to be really confident. The the thing you got to remember is this is not the biggest stage, as you already mentioned, um, and, and he's not going up against the top of the top here. Um, yeah, you know, to, no disrespect to Schwartzman, but was there ever any scenario here where Schwartzman was expected to win this match? No, this was all Zverev, um, and, and even if Schwartzman made this slightly close, if anything, it would have been a disappointment for Zverev not to win it. So, I mean, realistically, everything was in Zverev's corner for this one, and, and it was working for him. You mentioned it. The forehand was looking great. The first serve was doing so much damage. He was able to attack that Schwartzman second serve as it sat up for him. I mean, everything was clicking for him, um, and, and that's why he ran through this match two and one, right? Not often do you see see that um, in a final, particularly against a guy in Diego Schwartzman, who, as I already mentioned, can battle so well when it, you know, when it really comes down to it. But again, Zverev just took the racket out of his hand and, and, and ran away with this match for back-to-back yeah. titles. And there was just an element, he's just that much more solid than a Davidovich Fokina or an FAA, and he can do a lot of the things that they can do. And so you're right, Schwartzman was, I think, lucky to get to this final. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, he could have easily lost both his quarterfinal and semifinal matches, and that he made the final a big win for him. And by the way, Diego Schwartzman, a guy who is right on the outskirts of qualifying for this year's year-end championships, he's the pole position for that number eight spot. Of course, Rublev looks pretty comfortable in that seven spot right now, but yeah, you're right. Uh, does Diego Schwartzman or Yannick Sinner, who, as exciting as it is to watch, still 19 years old, the guys here of FAA in last week's final, Davidovich Fokina in last week's semifinal, are those the names he's going to match up with at the year-end championships? No, you're right. It's going to be another caliber of player, but... You start to look at what Alex Virov has done already at this point in his career. Obviously, uh, he become uh, you know he's got the most titles of any player born since 1994. He's got 13. Then you've got Medvedev with seven, Kyrgios and Rublev with six, Puy and Tsitsipas with five. You know you start to look at some of the other things again. He's got 13 ATP titles. That's more now than Gofen, Kyrgios, Verdasco, Raonic, Fonini. You know guys like Lubacic, Rafter, Henman, even more than Kane Ishikori currently the same as Tomas Burdich that comes from Enrico Riva shout out to him for the stat but you know it's funny just some litmus test for where he is compared to some of the other greats Jamie at this point 23 years old Andy Murray 16 titles Andy Roddick 20 titles. You know, Andre Agassi, 19 titles. Djokovic, 18 titles. Now, you know, Federer had 23. Uh, Nadal had 36. And then this is the ridiculous one for you. Bjorn Borg by age 23, Jamie, 53 titles already, which is just, it's, it's nuts. Sorry, I, I had to drop the F-bomb there because that's just ridiculous. But I mean, He's already surpassing all of these other players. It's hard to argue in the era of the big four that there's a better, you know, uh, you know, Murray's clearly fourth and fine Stan because he's got the three titles. You want to say he's clearly fifth right now. I can understand that. But Zverev has arguably been already one of the six best players of, you know, this post-2010 era, and he's only 23 years old. 
Yeah, and, and let's remember too, I mean, realistically, when we're talking about big three, big four, whatever era, you know, that we're, we're in the very latter stages of this thing, right? I mean, yeah. how long, at least in the last few years, how much of that has Federer been injured or Nadal not played? You know, so it's just, it's a little different there. But absolutely, in recent years, in the last few in particular, since, you know, basically 2017, 2018, Zvera's been up there and he's been at the top of the game. So it's, um, I mean, it's a testament to how he's been able to do in these sort of tournaments, right? It, it hasn't been his Grand Slam performances that have kept him up up there it's been as you would say the weekend week out grind where he's been able to show up and grab these 250s and, and other titles and so yeah that's an important part of being sort of a sustained and consistent champion it, it's just you know it, it's always the question is Varev is all right let's see the next big one you know yeah no that's fair and look for him I think the big thing is he's won a title now in every season dating back to 2016 I'm pretty sure the only guys who have done that are him Nadal Djokovic and I think Dominic Team. and I apologize if I forgot anyone but that's obviously outstanding for him now he joins Umber Nadal Garen Monfils Rublev and Djokovic as the only multiple title winners in 2020 and more importantly again when you solidify yourself in the top 10 top 5 and I'm not saying he hadn't already done this but if you're going to play back back-to-back 250s, you should win them both. That's exactly what he did this week. And so, again, an impressive performance from him playing the sort of, you know, uh, one of the silver linings, I'm sure, in 2020. Uh, and not that there are, again, it's a brutal year, but this was a step forward for Alex Zverev. He showed the sort of development. Obviously, we would have loved to see it over a normal season, but he was a step improved, in my opinion, this year. Yeah, and, and I do think a big part um, of, of where he lands and how he evaluates this season will really go down at the Tour Finals. Um, because like you said, it's one thing to knock off these these 250s and do what he should be doing. But you know, if he really wants to build on that confidence and, and get some more big-time momentum, having a great performance there would be a really great step toward that, especially going into Australia in 2021. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. And again, we still have about three weeks left of ATP action. So Mm -hmm. hopefully we will get to see Alex Zverev multiple times uh, over these next couple of weeks. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Let's flip gears now, though, to the WTA Tour, Jamie, and our listeners know if they follow, you know, if they're subscribed to our Cracked Interviews podcast, we had the opportunity to participate in Press Road this week in Ostrava for the WTA JNT Banca Ostrava Open, of course, that event, uh, the second to last event on the WTA calendar, and as such, featured almost exclusively top 50 players, and, you know, it was an outstanding level of play all weekend long in the semifinals. We had, again, some of the best players here on the season. You know, Maria Sakari, who's been so good since the restart. She took on Vika Azarenka, Sabalenka versus Jen Brady. Those are two players who can absolutely strike the ball. And then in our final yesterday, we had the first all-Belarusian final in WTA history. Number three-seeded Arena Sabalenka taking on number four-seed Vika Azarenka. Now, of course, uh, those of you who watched the match are probably well aware Azarenka not feeling well at all heading into the match. She talked about it afterwards in the press conference. 
conference, was experiencing migraines, but wanted to go out on court, wanted to put up a fight just out of respect to the match because, of course, she's an ultimate competitor. In the end, Sabalenka just overpowers her too good, 6-2-6-2. Jamie, we don't have to talk about the specifics of the final, but just for Arena Sabalenka this weekend in general— I don't want to say it was validating to my opinion because, again, seventh title of her career. We've seen her do it at bigger events than this, but it's for her to go down 6-0-4-0 in that quarterfinal and then just kind of rip through the rest of championship weekend, it's hilarious. Like, she wins the doubles as well. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, this is a really weird tournament. Weird but positive, right, tournament for her. I mean, she goes in that round of 16 match, drops the first set to Coco Goff 6-1, um, and does a good job to bounce back, get back in that match, and win the t- third set in a tight one, right? Then you already mentioned the quarter where she was down 6-0-4-0. I mean, listen, a lot of that could be a story about Cerebez Tormo not holding on to that lead. But also, Sabalenka raised her level and got that thing back under control. So from there, I really had no surprise that she was going to run through the rest of this tournament. Obviously, I expected Azarenka to show up more in that final. But again, she wasn't feeling her best, so we can't really put much stock in that one. I mean, look, she was the three seed for a reason. She's been really solid. This is a good tournament for her. Obviously, she drops eight games combined in the in the um, singles and doubles final to win this thing. So just a great weekend for her, no doubt. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, you would think these surfaces fit her beautifully, right? A slow indoor hard court. She gets clean looks at almost every shot she wants. And, you know, when she's striking the ball cleanly, I think she is, I think it's her and Osaka as the two most powerful players. And maybe Yastrzemska would throw in there as well. Just the two players who can hit the cover, or the three players who can hit the cover off the ball, just on a different level than, you know, some of these other players in the women's game. And that's what we saw from Sapolinka. Even I talked about in the moment, even when she was down 6-0-4-0 to Cerebes Tormo, that match was on her racket, and I was texting you during it. I was like, I swear if she just wins one game, and I tweeted it out as well, she was going to win the match because she has that capability to where if she's confident and striking the ball well, it doesn't matter what the opponent's doing. She can just hit you off the court. And, you know, again, as I mentioned for Sabalenka with this title here in Ostrava, it's the seventh title of her uh, career, a uh, WTA title of her career, excuse me, her other titles coming a premier event in New Haven. She won a premier event, uh, five events in Wuhan back-to-back years. She won in Doha earlier this year. She won the Elite Trophy event as well. The missing piece is the slams. That's what it is. We've seen her rip off an incredible week of tennis, but too frequently we've seen her play a bad set. You know, how many times have we sent the text to one another, Jamie? Oh, Sabalenka lost the first 6-1. And even when she comes back, it's just, you know, when it's bad, it's ugly. But when it's good, it's phenomenal. Yeah, 100%. I think you nailed it right there. It's it's just a matter of she's going to drop those sets, and, and when you get into a slam where you have to win so many matches back to back to back, you just can't do that, especially against opponents who are going to take advantage of a lead. You, you can't just consistently be in a situation where you're fighting from a dominant set one loss down, and you know, I, I do think that she's going to be able to have some really deep runs, especially at the hard court events. Um, you know, with this sort of momentum, I would expect a good performance from her in the 2021 Australian Open. But again, it's just so difficult to know because, you know, if she runs up against somebody who gives her a tough fight in a draw and, and she drops a set, I, especially in the women's side, you know, it's best two out of three, not three out of five there. So there's just not as much time to catch up if you if you have an offset or two. So 
it's a little concerning. Like you said, I, you know, you want to see that those are those sets are a little more buttoned up and potentially move to a plan B if the plan A isn't rocking. Because you know, in this case, yes, she happened to be able to swing through it and and really just hit through any sort of nerves or bad things happening and get it done. But it's just not always going to be that easy. No, I mean, she's played, I believe, 12 or 11 slams in her career thus far. Nine times she hasn't made it past the second round. And, you know, the question is, can she do it over the course of two weeks? Because what's clear is when she gets momentum on her side, when she starts rocking and rolling, uh, it's awfully tough to beat her. I mean, the fact that she already has three Premier 5 titles speaks to that fact. But... Yeah, uh, the big question for her moving into 2021 will be about consistency. And, you know, for Arena Sabalenka, I actually, again, had the opportunity to speak with her uh, about, you know, what she's looking to do this offseason, how she manages to go from 6-0-4-0 down in the quarterfinals to, you know, winning the title, what that says about her mentality. We have a clip of that answer now. Westoff, roll it. Congratulations on the victory. Arena. Thank you. This is something we've talked about already this week, but for you after that quarterfinal match to have something like that where clearly things aren't going your way and to be able to turn it around, uh, has that stuck with you throughout the weekend? Has it felt like, you know, you're playing on borrowed time almost so you can play a little bit more freely? Yeah, like I said, after that match, uh, after these kind of matches, you feel like Going on the next match, you feel like, oh, it's no pressure. It's, it's uh, you just start playing and you can play um, more free. Um, and you know that you can uh, come back no matter what. So, yeah, those kind of matches help you to be more, uh, I would say, like consistent in the game and um, more focused. And like you're starting playing from the beginning because you don't want to have this... Um, this situation again happens, so yeah. So yeah, Jamie, I agree with you. I think she realizes it as well. The biggest thing moving forward will be the consistency over two weeks at the slams because, again, as we have all seen, she's got the level to put up big wins. It's just can't she do it consistently. But someone who has been doing it awfully consistently, not just during the restart but throughout this 2020 season, one of those guys on the ATP Tour we mentioned who now has multiple titles to his name on the year, Ugo Umber, who looked unbelievable all weekend long match points down against Dan Evans he comes back to win the match in three and then today just looked so good against Alex Diemenauer was in control of the match from start to finish really played the majority of the match on his terms he knocks out the demon 6176 my first question to you Jamie because I say this all the time I think Ugo Umber is one of the co-captains of the all bad posture team I can't tell how tall he is, but I mean, his combination of length, speed, ability to, you know, take the balls early and then just fire down the line, he epitomizes to me what the modern ATP player is going to look like. Yeah, he's he looks a lot small. He's listed 6'2", so let's let's start with the short answer. Um, he's listed as 6'2 and like 160 pounds, which is <laughs> thin. Um, Plus and he, first of all, he needs, he, so this is my first take. He needs a smaller shirt size, just <laughs> slightly, just very slightly. I mean, the thing is just hanging off of him. And I mean, look, there's something to the fact that you have a shirt hanging off of you and you're still just ramming winners down the line, like impressive, I guess. Um, but for me, that's, that's, that's number one for him. Number two, I, I mean, I think just 
wow from this match. I mean, that first set, if you watched it, Damon Hour really just could not do anything. Umber did such a phenomenal job. You know, <clears throat> we talk about what is, what is the great thing that Djokovic can do with that backhand. It's change directions at will. And let, let's, you know, let's not be hyperbolic here and say that Umber's was at the same level. But realistically, he was doing the same thing. He was changing direction with his lefty backhand so well. And, and I mean, it was just a nightmare for Damon Hour. Umber was rocking the backhand down the line. And, and, and Damon Hour just simply couldn't catch up. Now, in the second set, um, Damon Hour did a great job of sort of saying like, hey, I need to just lock in and get into this match. Points were going either way. You know, there was a scrambling on both sides and it became a little bit more dicey. But Umbert was realistically in control of this thing almost from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I appreciate your consistency because you also tell me to go down a shirt size, so I'm glad to see you apply that policy to all. And, you know, one of my favorite moments in Cracked Interviews history, the first interview I ever did with Ty Tucker, he's talking about, you know, why, you know, things he thinks people can improve, the appeal of tennis, and he goes, all of the men need to wear tighter clothing. He, I think his argument was Mikhail Torpegard. He's like, if you don't see Torp every day, you don't know this, but that dude is freaking jacked. And he's like, why wouldn't you show it off? Like, that could absolutely be part of the appeal of tennis and I was like okay I like the way you're thinking Ty Tucker anyways yeah I think for Ugo Umber it's the fact that none of it's flashy it's not the most aesthetically beautiful strokes but they all work and case in point you know did his lefty uh forehand down the line on the run passing shot at seven all in the breaker against Dan Evans look as beautiful as Rafa's does no it didn't but it was equally as effective, and again, that's a little hyperbole, but it's just to say, Ugo Umber's game works. He can, uh, particularly on a hard court, I should say. He just absorbs pace well. He's able to change directions. He moves really well. Again, I think he's sneaky 6'2", 6'3"-ish. It obviously has some room to add to his frame, but he just played a high percentage match. I mean, he made 63% of his first serves, won 74% of those points, 68% of his second serve points, saved both break chances he faced and was able to get the break he uh the breaks he needed in the first set uh to get over the hump in the match and obviously was able to hold serve all second set but you know for Alex Diemenauer, I guess you look on the flip side in this match, the biggest glaring weakness for him, something that continues to plague him, I suppose, you know, 9 of 22 on second serve points, and we've talked about his ability. He needs to hit that second serve a little bit more confidently, take more chances, uh, because even with his speed, sometimes he just throws up a little hanging duck for these players to tee off on, um, but... I don't think it was a bad performance from Alex Diemenauer. I thought today's win had a lot to do with the confidence Ugo Umber's playing with. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, to quickly address the second serve of Devin Hour, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where he starts every he starts every point. You know, after he hits a second serve, for the most part, for the most part, on defense. Um, and for a guy like Alex Damon Hour, obviously he's comfortable doing that. But for a guy who's hitting as flat and as well as Umber on a hard court, indoor hard court at that. I mean, you're just putting yourself in a really difficult position. Um, and, and so you saw some, you know, some phenomenal scrambling and, and ability from Damon Hour to get out of those sort of jams. And and obviously the second serve even worse in terms of being teed off on in the first set. I mean, Umber was just having his way with almost everything. But um, again, as you mentioned, just needs to get a little bit more on that. and needs to find some creative ways to not instantly be on defense because, you know, you're not going to make every one of your first serves. You know, he makes 76% of them. That's a really strong percentage, but the problem is you, you can't just give away every point you lose on or you have on a second serve, and especially when you play, you know, those top guys, those guys who are even a class above your Ugo on Bears. I mean, you're just you're just not going to get away with winning, um, you know, that low of a percentage on the second serve points. So yeah. 
I think it's something that he knows. Um, and obviously when it comes to an outdoor hard or a slower court, he's in a little bit better shape. Uh, but especially on this surface, that's just got to be something he's got to work on. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think, and I said this on yesterday's podcast, that match against Dimitrov, Demon Hour played in the semifinals was so physical. And it was such yeah. an outstanding level of tennis. And I think Demon Hour came out a little bit slow. There was no denying that. And just things were hanging a little bit. And, of course, you never count Alex Demon Hour out of a match. Whenever he wakes up, and, you know, he's always going to be giving intense effort. But I should say, whenever the st- shots start landing, uh, he is going to be in for the fight. But... Yeah, it was just Umber jumped on him. I mean, credit yeah. to Uko Umber, and it, it's it's the sign of a player who's confident, a sign of the player who, you know, again is willing to take some big cuts on second serve returns, take some chances. It was really fun to see, and you know, again for Uko now second career t- or second career ATP title, second for him on the season. He is currently undefeated in his two titles. I believe he is now two and zero in his two tries. Some other young guys who are also, uh, I believe, uh, undefeated right now in finals: Opelka two and zero, Edmund two and zero, Vesely two and zero, Karen Hatchinov four and zero, Karino Busta three and zero. But you know, it's a good start for the young Frenchman who now I believe finds himself uh, pretty close to the ATP top 30 with this title. Let me look real quick in the live rankings. And it's also funky uh, because the formula has been adjusted to protect those players who don't play. But Ugo Umber, the 22-year-old at a new career high of 32, and he's earned it, folks. That is the place. he. Did. It wasn't just one fluke slam run. He has been one of the most consistent players during this 2020 season. So huge credit to him. A great victory. And obviously with that win, he moves closer to the top 30. It's funny because, you know, with another week in the rankings now, the Twitter account at Anna K underscore forever, Oleg uh, released the ATP players born in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s who have now had 100 plus weeks in the top 20, Jamie. And there are only six guys born in the 1990s. You know, you think about this, Alex Zverev uh, is going to be one of those guys. That was a giveaway. He's the young guy uh, who you think of the most certainly, but uh, there are plenty of other 90s players, you know, that lost generation. Generation. How long have they been in the top 20? And you look at a guy like Ugo Umber, who certainly has circled ending in the top 20, getting close there probably as an end-of-year goal. But my trivia question for you, Jamie, we haven't done one of these in a while. There are six players born in the 1990s who have accumulated 100-plus weeks in the top 20 during their career thus far. I gave away one of the names in Alex Virov, so you've got five to go. Can you name the other five players born in the 90s to do it? I'm going to try. Listeners, I'll and be And by the honest, way, just so you know, I, there will be two say, other— Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're fine. No, I, let me just give you one other thing quickly. You may be thinking Tsitsipas and Schwartzman. They are currently not over that 100-week threshold, but they will be at the end of this season, just so you I, know. No, I did not have either of them in there. Um, okay, cool. Schwartzman was a question list. mark, but— um, So, wait, you said Schwartzman not in there, right? No Schwartzman. Okay, so you already gave me Zverev. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's go lost lost generation. I, again, listeners, I was given a five-minute head start. I was not given any answers, but I was given a five-minute head start that this question would be coming. Um, so I did look at the rankings while, you know, Gruskin was rambling on and getting ready. So let's go, you know, lost generation. I'll say Dimitrov, Brownich. Correct. And I looked up Nishikori. Turns out he was born like three days before the 90s. So unfortunately, he does not count in this list. Although um, he so would be over the threshold, but yes, born in the yeah. 80s. So there's there's three. Um, then Gofen. Great guess. 233 weeks. That's number four. 
uh, Dominic team. That's the other obvious one. He's at 249, second only to Rayonich, who's at 324. So you have the top five. This was always going to be the tricky one. I'm going to ask you again, dig deep into that brain. Who are the other 90s players who have done some cool stuff? So at first, I was. Th- I, I, this is the recency bias where I'm thinking Karina Busta, but it's just not. He doesn't come close. Karina Busta, um, 81 weeks, so he's 19 away. Yeah. It's four out of five there. It's not any of the young guys. Medvedev, Hachinov, both over 80. Chorich over 60. Kyrgios at 99. So he's close, but it's not him. And you already told me it wasn't Schwartzman. Um, Do you want me to give you a hint? Let me give me. uh, I'm going to give you three degrees of hint. No, I'm going to give you three degrees of hint. Here's the hardest of the hints. Recently split with his coach. Okay, that narrows it down some, but not a ton. Okay, let me know if you want a second one. The second hint, I'll give it to you. Grand Slam semifinalist. Come on. You can do this, I guess I didn't think, I mean, so if that's the case, I I didn't, is it Luca Pui? It is Luca Pui. Congratulations, Jamie. I know he had that that fluke run to the semis, but I guess I didn't think he had been there for that long. Me neither. That was the name that shocked me the most. I was like, okay, Luca Pui, welcome to the ball game. He's on the dance floor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's been Grand out Slam of the ball game for a bit now, though. Yeah, it's true, obviously, and we are wishing him a speedy and safe recovery as he tested positive for COVID recently. But yeah, he's the other guy. And then, as I mentioned, Tsitsipas Schwartzman should join them by the end of this 2020 year. But yeah, I mean, it's a small list of guys. And, you know, again, Rayonich probably has more years behind him than he does ahead of him at this point. I think for Team Zverev, they're both going to get high up in the, you know, the over 500 club, join the likes of, you know, the Ivanisevichs, Sampras's, Agassiz, Federer's, Nadal's, Djokovic's, Murray's of the world. Um, and that 500-week number, over 500 weeks in the top 20, that's really when you are one of those special, you know, top 20 guys of all time. Uh, but just an interesting little note of where we are at and yeah for Alex Virov 23 years old already 172 weeks in the top 20 he is exactly where you would want him to be uh, but with that in mind just want to quickly mention some of the other challenger results and then preview the week ahead you look yet last week in Istanbul uh, obviously that was a fun event on the hard court there a fun run that saw former Wake Forest uh, NCAA singles finalist Borna Gojo make the semifinals in the end it was number seeded Ilya Avashka knocking off Martin Klee on 6164 in Germany. We obviously had a challenger result on the carpet, and I hope all of you took the time to watch some carpet tennis because it just oh, it's so oh so rare at this point in the professional tennis world. In there, uh, over in Germany, it was Mark Andrea Husler continuing his excellent form of late as he uh, gets the victory over, I believe, uh, Vandesan Schlup 6776675. I think that's his second challenger title of the restart. So, talk about a player who has really been on his game of late. Also, have to give a shout out to a Cracked Rackets favorite here, CeCe Bellis, who, you know, starts this year outside the top 850, spends over, you know, 18 months dealing with various wrist injuries, different surgeries, trying to have surgery to fix the previous surgery. Uh, We were all excited to see her have some success at the Australian Open, where this week she won a loaded draw in Macon, Germ- uh, in Macon, Georgia. She ends up winning the ITF title, knocks out Kostiuk in the final. Obviously, Marta Kostiuk, another talented young player. CeCe Bellis now back inside the top 150 at number 142. And again, 
I'm not trying to overreact. There was a point, you know, when she was 16 years old where I would have said, yeah, I think she's going to win multiple Grand Slam titles. It's unfair to put the burden of those sort of expectations back on her, but it is completely fair to say, Jamie, she will be a staple of the top 100 tennis, uh, of the top 100 in the women's game for as long as she is healthy. Yeah, and exciting to see her trending back toward that because realistically with her talent, and as you mentioned, the promise that she's shown, even from that young age, we, we know what she's capable of, right? And so hopefully getting a title like this under her belt is exactly what she needs confidence-wise. And yeah, and again, if she stays healthy, there's no reason to think she can't continue to ascend up those rankings. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Well, then, with that in mind, let's preview the week ahead. And, of course, these are some of the final weeks of this professional tennis season. We want to milk it for all it's worth here at Cracked Rackets uh, as tennis fans in general. And we've got a couple of ATP headline events in ATP 500 this week in Vienna. That's going to see number one seeded and wild card Novak Djokovic in the draw. Of course, you look at the other top seeds. You've got number two seed Dominic Team, the four seed Daniil Medvedev, five seed on. Andre Rublev, of course, you've got Gael Monfils, you've got uh, Denis Shapovalov, all seated here, Stefano Tsitsipas, the number three seed in this event. We have had a couple of withdrawals. Originally, it was supposed to be a Medvedev-Demon Hour first-round matchup. Now, Demon Hour pulling out of this event following his final uh, last week in Antwerp. But, I mean, from top to finish, Jamie, you look at some of these first-round matches. Holy crap. I mean, let's start with the classics. You know, a Kane Shikori dominic team, I think we all would sign up for that one. An all-Canada battle between FA and Pospisil, that's going to be a lot of fun. Pas versus Struff, we all enjoy that. Dimitrov versus Hatchinov, that's going to be great. And then, of course, in my opinion, the two headliners always love to see two guys who I think serve very much alike, Christian Guerin take on uh, Stan Wawrinka, and then for me, next-gen heaven, Kasparud taking on Yannick Sinner. Jamie, what is your biggest storyline, the thing you will be monitoring most closely from the action in Vienna? Honestly, this seems like a random one, but for me, the, the guy I'm going to be watching the most, I don't even know if it's necessarily a storyline, but it's Grigor Dimitrov. Um, I was very intrigued um, by that result against Alex Damenauer, I think realistically, you know, he could have won that match. You and I talked about how it's just a really high level of tennis and, and a great match of 2020. For me, though, Dimitrov has just spent too much time as of late not being around enough and not being around that top echelon of the sport, somewhere where he realistically should be. So to me, you know, if he's able to come out and beat a Hatchinov who's looked pretty solid, you know, talk about temper tantrums aside, right? I mean, the tennis has looked really good. So Dimitrov, if he's able to win a match like that, maybe get a couple more under the belt, I'm going to be really impressed and looking for him to, to make a push starting in 2021 because, you know, realistically, he just hasn't been around the top as enough as enough as he should. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that one. I think that's a good call. I think that Hatchinov match is going to be a battle. Those are two guys who, again, uh, could do very interesting things in 2021 if they're both playing their best tennis it's tough. I mean, for me, the storyline, as always, which of these young guys is going to get the shot at Djokovic? If we end up with a Wawrinka-Djokovic final, that would be very disappointing to me. I want to see either Rublev, Team, Medvedev, FAA, you know, one of those guys take a shot at him in the final. And, of course, I want to see guys like Hercots and Tsitsipas take their shot, and maybe even Shapovalov, who obviously got to play him last year uh, in Paris in that final. I want to see what they've got, because you look at the 
seeds now, and I mentioned it, you know, they're all next-geners. Tsitsipas, three seed. Shapovalov, eight seed. I mean, you know, Medvedev, four seed. Rublev, five seed. Team a little bit older, but he's the number two seed. It's their time. And I mean, they're the guys who have been filling the draws. We just saw them all compete at the 250 level. Let's see what they've got at this 500. And I think, you know, the Andre Rublev ascension. Well, you know, is there is there a world where Andre Rublev wins this event? Absolutely. And I think he's another guy you could circle as very, very dangerous. Zverev won it two years ago. Tsitsipas won it last year. Is there any reason Andre Rublev couldn't win this year's year-end championships? I say no. I want to see which one of these next-gen guys looks best in Vienna. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's uh, not a not a surprising storyline from Alex Gruskin's mouth to be looking at the next gen guys in a loaded draw, but um, definitely fair for this one because this draw has so much talent from top to bottom. So it's going to be a lot of fun regardless. Oh, I'm nothing if not consistent, Jamie. Uh, I try to keep that up, but yeah, you know fair. that's not the only one. There's also the 250 event in Kazakhstan this week. The number one seeded Benoit pair that should never have to be a sentence you utter. They should just be like, no, you're not the one seed, Benoit. I'm sorry. We've seen you during this restart, and we just we made an executive decision as a tournament. We're not going to make you the one seed. But nevertheless, he is the one seed this week in Kazakhstan. Of course, you've got the number two seeded, Kesmenovic three seed here this week. Uh, of course, Adrian Manorino. Then you've got Millman, Sandgren, uh, and I believe Sasha Bublik, Tommy Paul, and Jordan Thompson filling out the rest of the draw. Of course, you've got some other really fun young players. Emil Rusevori, the talented young uh, Danish player. You've got Mackie McDonald versus Bublik round one. That's a rematch from a couple of weeks ago. I think Sandgren Vesely round one is going to be a bunch of fun as well. Jamie, what are you watching most closely in Nur Sultan? I mean... Benoit Pair, that's already a good take right there. Um, I mean, that's just that's going to be a lot of fun. Vesely's a guy who's really intriguing to me for no particular reason except for he always just tends to mess up picks and draws. You know, when I, you expect him when you expect him to do poorly, um, you know, he he ends up beating someone who's like very solid in a tight match. And you're like, well, what the hell? And then when you expect him to win and maybe you know build on some momentum, he just completely flops against somebody you've maybe heard of twice. Um, and so for me, that's always it's always a question with him. It's like, okay, can we get some consistency here? So he's probably one um, that I'm going to be watching pretty closely. And saying, I could not agree with you more, Jamie. I mean, former world junior number one, the big lefty is captivating. You see the serve indoor hardcore tennis. You're like, why could he not make a run through this event? And if he can get through Sandgren, then it just, you know, a big serving battle against either Harris or Jirasimov. I mean, he enters a lot of matches with the biggest weapon on the court in terms of his serve. And yeah, the second you're ready to make a Yuri Vesely take, he loses. The second you're ready to pick against him, he wins. So that's Yuri Vesely in a nutshell. Completely agree with you there of course those are the two ATP 250 or higher level events we've got a couple of fun challengers in Spain and Germany as well you know top seeds are all top you know all the players in this event really top 200 players you know my boy Pedro Martinez Portero back in the draw you've got number one seed Federico Coria there as well a Tommy Robredo listen to this Jamie this match already happened uh Bernabe Zapata Morales versus Tommy Robredo 6030 retirement Zapata Morales 
moves on. But so anyways, fun challenger tennis there. And then, of course, in Hamburg, uh, more fun action. Uh, I don't believe they're on the carpet this week, but plenty of good players in play. You know, you've got the Taro Daniel, the number two seed here this week. Camille Matrzak, the talented young Polish player, the number one seed. So plenty of fun action from start to finish. But one other storyline I think we should be monitoring, Jamie, just quietly. The Stefano Tsitsipas Giannis Attentacumpo friendship. They're both in Greece. They're arguably probably the two most famous athletes there. Like when they go to the club, it's Giannis and Stefanos going out. Who does better? Like who has who gets surrounded more? Because Giannis is obviously a superstar, but in Greece, so is Stefanos. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I, I don't have enough insight to answer such a question. I would have to lean Giannis, and I would think like if they start talking to both of them, Sitsipas just goes on some really weird philosophical tangent, and this girl at the club is like, okay, this dude's weird, um, and kind of gets away from that. But again, maybe some of them are into that. I, I really don't know. You'd have to think, though, if they pair up, they've got to be a pretty dynamic tandem, though. That's about as If you're in Greece and you're like, who can I go out with? You're like, Sitsipas and Giannis are going out, and they invited me? I'm in. You don't. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. It doesn't matter the time or the hour of the day. And by the way, they may both have girlfriends, and they may both, or you know, whatever it is they do in their personal lives. You know, we're just having some fun here. But yeah, I mean, a blossoming friendship between the two best athletes in the country. I love that. I just whatever their cross cross athlete cross sport friendships. I, I think it's a net benefit for everyone. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good uh, It's good content for the rest of us to speculate on how those going outs go. And, and maybe post-COVID, we'll get to see some, some real action there. And did you hear, like, I mean, did, he got Giannis on the record saying, who's your favorite player? And he was like, well, it was, I think, uh, Djokovic or something. But he's like, but after that French Open, I just, it's got to be Nadal. And I was like, oh, a little bit That's of spice. Stuff. Yeah, it's like Giannis Attentacumpo, you are welcomed on the mini break at any time to offer your tennis takes. But no, fun, uh, fun social media content, fun content for all of us tennis fans between the two of them. And of course, it should be another jam-packed week of action in the professional tennis world if you have missed any of our Cracked Rackets content, trying to cover it all. You can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, as always, we ask you like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. We've got a bunch of fun stuff on the way. We have been planning. We're almost ready to shift into off-season mode, ready to help get all of you fans ready for 2021, which feels like it might be a lifetime away, but it's really not, folks. 2021, I think, is in, what, eight weeks, eight and a half weeks, the 2021 Australian Open hopefully will be upon us before we know it. So be on the lookout for all of that content. And of course, for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar for helping us look good and feel good. So of course, we can go play good. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACK15. With that in mind, James Foster, any final thoughts? Uh, let's hope Cam Norrie can pull this off and really uh, nail home your ace of the day. That's all yeah. I got to say. I think Rublev Paul will hit, but yes, I also saw he lost that second set in the breaker. And yeah, we got some tennis to go watch. So with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>